two of our quarantine special going through some deployments in Age of Sigmar and how we might go about uh, best figuring out how we start our missions. And uh, you know, before we do so, as always, John, what's on your workbench? Oh, uh, not much. What about you, Garrett? Uh, okay uh what can i say my friends uh for those of you out there in listener land we have had another amazing week of staying home by ourselves uh mostly my wife and i in the house here uh what can i say it's been um a little bit more challenging pushing through that fourth week uh i myself however have been staying busy first off uh real stuff really on my workbench Uh, I went ahead and built out the rest of the Primaris characters. You guys will remember last week I talked about, I've been, well, I've been talking about for a while. I've been working on a Primaris army, the Johnny Marines. And last week (laughs) I painted all the dudes that had been built up to this point. And this week I went ahead and built Mephiston, uh, Lieutenant Tomerion, and Lieutenant Amulus, which were the last three characters that I haven't built. So I've actually built all the new Primaris characters except for a couple of the hard-to-get limited edition ones. Uh, And, of course, my intention is that this is an army that I can play as any of the different marine factions, including even Space Wolves or Dark Angels. So it should be a lot of fun with that. Beyond that, uh, I am continuing on with my Blood Bowl II League. Uh, According to the interwebs, uh, unlike what I believe, my Skaven army is apparently OP, or something like that, <laughs> Blood Bowl circles, uh, which means that I really suck because right now I am 0-5 with my Skaven. I am getting stomped and crushed and beaten. And if it isn't my own team taking itself out, if it isn't my rat ogre, uh, I did a great one. I, I got a, um, uh, what do you call the, the guy with the, uh, the ball on the end? Oh, a fanatic. A fanatic. Yeah, so I got a fanatic as a um, uh, as like a mercenary. I was able to buy him in. So he comes in. You know what? With the fanatic, you can't even control where he goes. You pick a direction, and he starts spinning out of control. <laughs> he just he starts taking out my guys. <laughs> I killed one of my own guys. It's amazing. So uh, this game is completely out of control. I have one more game tomorrow. Uh, and then hopefully we will finish up that league. Uh, we'll have to hear what Garrett's doing. Uh, I think he's doing a lot better than I am in that league. And then uh, a couple things for those of you who follow what I've been up to in my garden. Uh, my hot peppers have shipped as of earlier today. So uh, later this week, I should have received 16 Ooh. different varieties of hot, sweet, and in-between mm. peppers. Uh, trying some more exotic stuff this year. I got a couple species out of South America that we don't get in North America very often. So I'm uh, really looking forward to sharing those with my friends. It should be kind of a medium heat. Uh, nothing as hot as the Trinidad Scorpions. Maybe nothing even as hot as the Carolina Reapers. Ah, but we'll see because uh, this year is off to an amazing start. And even though it's early spring, my garden, which is right now just herbs and stuff like that, already going crazy like my bog garden has a ton of flowers and it should be pretty amazing and then finally last but not least broke out the old tabletop simulator and (laughs) this is something that uh i was kind of you know i wanted to try i've known about it for a long time but i have avoided using it because uh as you guys know i suffer from 
terrible motion sickness. I can't even walk past a Ferris wheel without getting motion sickness. In fact, it was a, a big deal this year, Alex, as you know. Mm -hmm. I went on the high roller in Vegas this year. Uh, that thing moved so slow, but it was kind of the limit of what I could handle uh, there. But I survived that. And with Garrett and I patiently working through some stuff, I also survived the tabletop simulator. What we basically discovered is that I can switch it to a top-down camera and lock it there. And then I can pan around, and it's basically like I'm playing an RTS. So not any 3D for me at all. Okay. Other okay. than that, it, it works out real nice. You know, you got your dice and everything. And you see in my background, for those of you enjoying us on the, uh, on the internet, on YouTube, as it were, uh, there's a little scene from the tabletop simulator that's, in fact, the uh, Places of Arcane Power map. Let me shove my head out of the way. You can see that my Skaven list barely fits in the deployment zone. Let's see, right, right there for you, Jeremy. There's your buddy, the Vermin Lord Warp Seer. <laughs> oh, yeah, look at that. There you go. Yeah. Now, he, uh, he was a hero because in the game with Garrett and I, he actually was able to jump into the backfield and... Uh, and make a nice little charge out of that. So, uh, so where was he during your Blood Bowl game, John? Shit, yeah, right. I, if I had, see, that's the whole problem with my Blood Bowl team is they need a vermin lord. <laughs> Instead, all they have is some pansy ass rat ogre that keeps flopping on the ground and and throwing tantrums and stuff. Like that, that sounds a lot like your your vermin lord. <laughs> you just have a lot of five up saves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So it was, uh, it was pretty good. I mean, uh, Garrett, what'd you think? Uh, you know, was this, your, this was your first time playing through a game of Age of Sigmar 2, right? Yeah, this is my first time. I'd say um, the, the definitely the most time-consuming thing was just figuring out all the little bits and bobs. Like, we kept unlocking the board and accidentally moving it, so we had to keep undoing. Yep, jostling. Um, I mean, it took us a while. Like, literally just stacking. 40 clan rats into a block took a yeah. while, right? Yeah, exactly. Just, like, figuring out how to get John's army imported, getting my army unimported. But, like, once we got... It took us about an hour to figure out all those things. Once we figured that out, it actually played really, really smooth. I, I mean, as John mentioned, he has the motion sickness, and we had dealt with it a little bit before, and so I was worried that John would have to move a little slower to uh, be able to deal with the motion sickness. But, honestly, he had been able to move quickly, um, we were playing at a very fast pace. Uh, I, I had a limited time, so we were only able to get through two turns, and we were kind of just playing around and messing around. Yep. But I, I had a lot of fun. I feel like the next time John and I play, we could probably knock out a whole five-turn game in maybe three, -ish, three and a half hours. Yeah, that um, sounds about right. Play a little more serious and that kind of stuff. Yeah. I think um, for me, it'll be a little more time outside of the game um, preparing, like putting mm -hmm. my units into, <clears throat> into blocks and... I need to look for some tools like we were talking about in game, like maybe a movement tray or yeah. something that would allow me to take this. Cause part of the problem is I can take this whole block and I can pick it up and I can move it, but I, I have no way that I know of to rotate the whole block. Yeah. Like the rotate tool rotates each individual model. So I was like, Oh, I see rotate. We're in good shape. And all of a sudden each little model is just like <laughs> pivoting in place. I'm like, ah, so, so anytime I had to rearrange it, it's well, here's the funny part. It is just like playing real Age of Sigmar. I have to reach down and grab the models and pick them up yeah. and pick them up and move them to the new spot. And, you know, if you can grab three or four at once, you can speed things up. But if you have to pick up 40 dudes one at a time, it's picking up 40 dudes one at a time and moving them across the table. Um, yeah. Other than that, we had little 12-inch rulers. So mm -hmm. we're actually able to lay rulers down on the tabletop to figure out charges and different zones. 
I think we need some two or three or three inch markers as well yeah. that says do keep out zones. Um, we were able to put um, circles around the objectives. For so the we six inch to... objective zones easier. Yeah, so we were really able to see nice. the objective zones. That was pretty nice. Um, I was really excited. Like I said, um, it, I got my Age of Sigmar on. Uh, I hadn't played my Skaven army since December. So a little bit of the extra time that we took is I, I literally, you know, have, it's, there it is still on my, my desktop, right? I got my, I got can't, see it. My, can't, can't see it. It's too it. black. There we go. If we go low. If I sneak it into the bottom, oh, we can barely see it. My Skaven battle tome. So I had to open up the Skaven battle tome and flip back and forth and actually look up rules and yeah. all that stuff. And some so. rats fell out of it too. It's been there for so long. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Actually, John, John actually got a rat stuck in his dice. And so yep. when he would roll his dice, he'd roll a rat with them. It was yeah. it was actually kind of fun. <laughs> it was it was difficult to get the rat out, so it took me a while. So we were kind of Seems rolling adequate. him around. Yeah, <laughs> I think John ended up having like a hundred extra rats to the side because he just like kept like copying and pasting more rats. He's just like ah screw it, we just gotta have four hundred rats. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then just grab them, and move around. So so that might be one of the ways to speed things up is actually have blocks of rats at different angles and then, <laughs> and then pick up this whole block and then replace it with a block at a different angle. That's how you do your wheeling around. Yeah. So uh, all in all, that was my workbench this week, my friends. Uh, lots of stuff, mostly staying at home, uh, staying out of trouble, working in the garden, playing online with my friend Garrett, playing online with Blood Bowl and doing a little plasty hobby and uh and garrett my friend what the heck have you been up to in your dungeon of iniquity <laughs> um i mean as you mentioned uh we played tabletop simulator and a lot of last week was actually i uh well outside of my normal work schedule was dedicated to setting up the tabletop simulator trying to figure out some of the little mechanisms so that when we played i could help you uh, with a lot of that oh nice and uh try to speed up our game and like learn how to set up a table, maybe start deploying and stuff like that. So I was playing around with that a lot. Um, I'm getting really excited to actually play some more tabletop simulator. Uh, I got a game scheduled with my buddy Justin. He's going to bring his night haunt. We'll play tomorrow night. So I might try streaming that. Might play around with some streaming tools just to Ooh. you know get out there and get with the rest of the community. Um, but yeah, so. Not not a whole lot otherwise, just kind of working, reading, and then hanging out with the wife. We're playing some Gloomhaven this weekend, so busted that out again, had some fun. Oh, Gloomhaven, huh? That I've heard of that. That looks fun. What is yeah, that? Yeah, it's 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 a really fun it's similar to like uh Shadows Over Brimstone or Descent or something. It's a dungeon delving game, but it has a really good uh persistence to it. So you can level up your characters and retire and get new characters and level up your establishment. So it's a lot of fun. Me and my wife have definitely dumped many, many hours into the game and I've already backed Ooh. the new Frost Haven that's coming out. Oh nice. Is that uh, like because like if we look at Shadows of Brimstone, I got my Shadows of Brimstone right up mm -hmm. here. Uh that one, you know, it came out with the original set and then there was like expansion. There's like five or six different expansions. Uh you know, and, and a lot of them are like Cthulian theme. There's mm -hmm. some alien themes. It, uh, for those who know, Shadows of Brimstone is um, steampunk, uh, Old West. Yeah, weird, weird, weird Wild West or something. Weird Wild West, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, uh, I love games like that. So you, you got you. You don't need a DM, mm -mm. but you're still playing a D and D or RPG like game. But you know, yep. two people can sit down and fill an afternoon and with leveling and all that kind of stuff. It to me, it's a, it's a, a fun, fun genre. Um, yep. Jeremy, have you played any uh, those kind of games? Uh, no. <laughs> 
I do. I Gloomhaven has been a game I've been interested in because um, for almost like a year it was impossible to find in the store. Mm. Any time it would get a shipment and it was just gone. Yeah. Um, so it's been a kind of like just proxy of scarcity has been like interesting me into playing uh, that game. But it's I, the concept of miniature mixing D and D games always been appealing to me. That's why I play Warhammer, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like it's a very I'm not a big D and D person uh, because uh, my buddy Gareth has always pointed out to me that uh, I want to win D and D. You don't win. <laughs> you don't win. <laughs> it is not a gimmick that works for D and D. So unfortunately. As much as I love the concept of it, I am a terrible uh, role player. Well, you might like Gloomhaven. Uh, there's no DM, so you are there is a winning. You gotta like you know complete the mission and stuff. And uh, it's definitely I will say like if your wife likes playing board games, it is a lot of fun and it's actually really good two player. And so you know if you're able to get a hands on your copy, your wife might like it. So. Uh, well, I have been get, getting my wife into board gaming, but virtually. Uh, we've been playing Civ Five a lot with my oh. and uh, my, my brother. So it is as close as it gets to board game. Uh, I mean, she right. loves board games, but it is a nice, uh, like, like very complex five or four X board game. I've actually been playing Civ with my wife during this uh, time as well. Oh, nice! Six yeah. or five? Six. Uh, I we we did we did play a lot. <laughs> I have yet to reach my amount of time in five as i do like my, my i've played less six than i have five but it's yeah. getting so i've yeah. played more five than six but it, six is catching up i do i do want to try the new expansion of six I, my it is good me is very good it makes yeah. the game a lot fixes a lot of the problems i have with it we'll see mm-hmm. we will see <laughs> uh, right now i'm just trying to teach i've mostly been playing those little uh like you pick one leader and play like a 50 turn scenario with them those have been a lot of fun hmm Oh, they're like a micro scale version of it. That's yeah, it. yeah, yeah. I'm a big like um, Starlight. Um, Start is it called No Twilight Imperium? Twilight like, I love Imperium. Twilight oh. Imperium. Oh. Mm. Twilight you Imperium. know what? I've downloaded Twilight Imperium on Tabletop Simulator, Jeremy. We should get a game schedule to play it. I would love always that. wanted. To, I, I I've always wanted Twilight to play. Imperium. Yeah, I, I played Twilight Imperium maybe eight years ago. I love it. My wife and I own it. And we love it, but it's just getting enough people together to yeah, play. Yeah, you need a full hours. table and yeah. the time. It's the problem. My buddy, the only full game I've ever played with my uh, our teammate Aaron Albert, because he used to have a dedicated group of guys. Who every year they would get together and play one game of Twilight Imperium, um, and that's about it. Like that's like it's so hard to get. Mm-hmm. That many folks to be dedicated enough for that kind of investment. I was gonna say, doesn't that game take like twelve hours? Yeah, about eight to twelve hours. Yeah, yeah. it's a con game. And you get enough people to do that. And that's assuming everybody knows the rules inside <laughs> out. If you don't, then it's a two-day affair. <laughs> no, you gotta you, you gotta play a practice game for everyone to learn how to play the game. Then you can play a real game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it's much like Civ. Those four X games are. Like you can win in so many ways, and it's up to you to make the right decisions on how to win, uh, and adjust and adapt during the game. And unfortunately for a lot of people, that's like that's too much of a daunting ask for them in a board game setting. So I got to uh, ask uh, Jeremy: Are you the uh, the guy that goes for the big economic win, the science win, the social win, religious dominance? Uh, what is your typical path to victory? I don't decide until turn two hundred. 
I try to be good um, at everything until hmm. two hundred. So you're willing to go any route. You don't pick like I'm going to build a religious no. society and go for it. I like to pick a religion. I like to have a religion just for the points and the uh, you know in case I choose to change my mind later. Mm-hmm. But like, it's just there's no reason to, and, like that game doesn't reward you for picking a path. It rewards you for making good decisions and the good decision is hey find out what people are doing on the the board first and then make up a decision about how you're going to win yeah good at everything so you can count because if you're good at everything you can kind of block your opponents from winning mm-hmm. versus pick and then pick the most i've won more games of diplomatic victory than any other games in civ 5 because i'm a big uh i'll buy every city state and then make them <laughs> vote me to win <laughs> uh so that's that's my favorite kind of easy way out, I guess. Uh, but I'm never I never picked that as a strategy. It's just kind of like ends up becoming that like kind of like well we're in that turn where whoever gets elected wins. So I'm like well we'll just play to that. Uh, so oh yeah yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I guess I'll go into my workbench. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was your workbench. No, that was still your workbench. <laughs> oh boy. Alex, we're just we're just never gonna talk about anything relevant that matters about Age of Sigmar. That's fine. So That's with, fine. I'm cool. Everything's I'll, fine. Everything's I'll, start, fine. I'll start with uh, I'm assembling some sisters of battle oh. because that was there. You go. That's a great background. Yeah, that is a good background. Um, it's uh, my second. Well, I, I should say. It's, let me correct that. It was my second longest running owned army for Warhammer. Uh, cool. Because when I was a kid, I was like. They must be French. They have fleur de lis on their armor. But no, <laughs> yeah. I didn't really understand that. No, that hasn't. Well, until later, that has nothing to do with it. I got rid of them in like 20, 2000, no, 2012 or something, or right around six edition, because uh, I was tired of the metal, the metal like models. They were kind of like abysmal. And then at that point, Games Workshop had already hinted there were going to be plastic models. It only took like a decade. <laughs> I have been <laughs> promised plastic sisters for ten years. Yeah, I was like, and um, hey, you got Celestine in like 2016. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, okay. and yeah. to to uh, to yeah, 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 Alex. What are they called, Alex? Geminids. Well, wow, that's that's ages. I don't. I, I, <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't care what they're called. I don't care. I I know that that's that's unfortunate for you. Uh, it's, <laughs> It's the uh, I don't know. I'm looking. I was rereading the Demon Fugue um, graphic novels, and I, I got the hitch, the the itch to re uh, rebuild some Sisters of Battle. I'm looking forward to painting them in even Chalice, which is the Terran Coven uh, or the Coven on Earth, basically. So I'll have like my you know Sentinels of Terror, my Imperial Fist, my Custodes, and then the Sisters of Battle. Uh, so I'll have a nice like. Kind of display case corner short whatever to like you know represents my defenders of Earth I guess, um, but outside of that, that sounds uh, awesome actually. So it's actually in some ways almost more of a hobby project for you then. Yeah, no, I don't plan like I want to play them, but I it's like one of those things like if I'm gonna play any 40k these days, it's gonna be armies I want to play with, not to win because I don't think 40k is like a good game. Sorry, 40k players. I, I played it for years. I don't think it's a good game right now. Um, and uh, I'll play. I'll play Harlequins or Sisters because I think they're fun. And I, even though I own three Space Marine armies, well, four now technically, 
uh, I still really don't enjoy space armies at all when I play them. I think they're cool. I just don't enjoy them. Um, so yeah, I'm probably not gonna play anything competitive for 40k. And I know this breaks the heart of our friend Shane Rucky, who's been trying to get me to play 40k for a long back to 40k for a long time. But uh, my son, I just. Yeah, of course he's your son. That makes so much sense. Uh, <laughs> wait, wait, that that makes you my bone daddy. Because mm. Shane and I are brothers. We have the same birthday. We're twins. Ooh, twins yeah, different mother and father. Yeah, no, we, we always joke about that. No, but it's because see, I, my whole family are all redheaded, blonde-haired people, except for me, and I have dark oh. hair. Whole family are dark-haired people, and he has red hair, and we have the same birthday. I think you guys were uh, what's the word when the fairy switches babies around at birth? I think that's, that's what I'm saying. What ended up happening? That's exactly what happened. Well, I will tell you one thing: your personalities are definitely not the same. A little different. But. <laughs> yeah, a little different. Just a little. Just a little. Uh, it's fine. I you know before I go into 40k versus AOS rant, I just want to say oh, I no. can't wait for this Saturday's renouncement from Games Workshop. Because please, for the love of God, announce another 40k edition because this one is fucking garbage. <laughs> they need to announce a 40k edition, and they need to announce they need to announce a couple of things. But... You know, I'll say from an Age of Sigmar perspective, a new 40k edition will be welcome because that means we might slow the fuck down on the AOS side while they sp- like they do a bunch of 40k releases. Yeah, and how many right. how many codexes have they had in 40k in the last year? Seven. Seven. <laughs> I don't. No, know. Yeah, yeah, again, Psychic Awakening books; those rules don't count. Codexes. Oh, you know, but none. But bad editions of 40k drive people to AOS, so. Well, uh, all that before is that everyone was forty k. They came to AOS. AOS community was growing, getting strong. New edition of forty k came out, and our population in AOS went. Bloom. Yeah, I mean it makes sense. It's just the shiny vanilla flavor. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, you know, you realize that it's the mm. vanilla flavor you just got is also filled with fucking crunchy metal bits, and that's forty k right now. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, no. It's, but also the design team, you can clearly see that the design team is just making way better models for Age of Sigmar in terms of, of uh, well, let me rephrase that because I think Techless is a fucking monstrosity. But that, every other model has been fucking phenomenal in comparison to the lazy primaries crossing the Rubicon models. Like, hey, this is, this is, sing- this is uh, what's his name, Mephiston? Fucking Christ, the Mephiston model is like, they could have done so many cool things with it. And it's just so lame. He's so lame. <laughs> it's the same. Gaskell is awesome. Ragnar is lame. Like, they just did so many lame. Yeah, Ragnar's right. And like, like the physics of how Ragnar poses in that thing. It's just kind of like. Just, I think just are Space are Marines are hard to do well. I think Space no, Marines. No, just, they're not. They're not. They're not. Their design team just doesn't want to do more Marines. It's like, yeah. that's what it is. They had all they those damn Marines. lieutenants. How many more could they want? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like 17 goddamn lieutenants. <laughs> you should be like, one of the realm of chaos should just be at like a field of dead and alive lieutenants. <laughs> it's like <laughs> lieutenants. It's one of the hells. <laughs> it's one of the hells. Uh, no, it's... Uh, uh, 
So that's on my workbench. <laughs> and gin. Gin! Not whiskey. Wow. No, no. Just, I'm just on that St. George, like, terroir gin kick. I'm like, this is my second bottle. I fucking love this stuff. I, and also, you know, it's, it just reminds me of outside. Because I was going to say, that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> if you can't walk in the forest, you might as well drink some St. George's gin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At some point, the two experiences cross. <laughs> it just reminds me of uh, the olden days when we used to see sunlight and step out of our house. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wait, Alex, the olden days of sea sunlight, when was that? Back when you lived in San Jose? There was never any sunlight in San Jose. It's fucking foggy or smoggy. (laughs) No, there's no more smog anymore. The air is cleared up. The birds have returned. Salmon are swimming up the rivers here. (laughs) Had a mountain lion in my backyard last week. (laughs) The the wildlife is... I mean, have you seen the photos and videos of Paris? Boars just roaming the streets of Paris? Fuck yeah. Yeah, dolphins in Venice. You can uh, see the, the moon from Alderaan. So th- here's the thing is this is only people being shut in for a couple weeks. Like you drop humanity, I'm saying six months. Yeah. <laughs> the planet's cleaned up oh, and, dude. and, and we're want, a memory. <laughs> you you, you want to watch a delirious, people going delirious. Um, there's a, a podcast network that I've been listening to, just some random podcasts from comedians. And there was like a comedian in L.A. who had a podcast and it was literally titled, I don't want to talk about Fight Club anymore. <laughs> and, and, it's, and it's a, it is a five episode long special where the guy stays up for 72 hours straight and plays Fight Club on repeat for the entire three days oh and does not sleep. And I accidentally, like, my Spotify, when you listen to podcasts, it'll, it'll play your podcast and then it'll be like, here's something new. And it'll just play something random. And it was the final episode of that podcast. And I wasn't even paying attention. I was just, like, doing hobby work just kind of getting stuff in, not really listening to it. And then I was listening to it, and I hear the guy, and he's just like, I'm tired. I, I've seen Fight Club 36 times in the last 72 hours. I'm not going to have a guest on this episode. Uh, someone's going to come by and do a health, health, health assessment on me. I, I, I just don't want to talk about fight club anymore and like he starts like he starts like singing a song and like you can hear it in his voice and he's like dying inside I'm like that's how people are on the quarantine right now this is what's this is what's happening to people it's a little concentrated version and it was the most insane thing so like yeah i don't know what to say go listen to it it's fucking bizarre but i'm gonna take over right now and i'm gonna talk about my workbench so uh right now i'm actually completely cleaning it off because i have no hobby projects right now so uh Building the computer, got almost all the computer parts. That's the hobby project. That's the hobby project. So right now I'm clearing off my desk in preparation for it. Um, the only thing I don't have is um, the, well, everything's coming in on Wednesday, by Wednesday. So we're going to be able to, uh, we're going to be able to get everything up and running. And I think I'm going to update the firmware on my motherboard tonight or tomorrow. And then we'll be all set. Um, I wish what? you had a GoPro so we could like me and John can just watch you assemble your computer on the stream and just, I'll fucking do it. And, I'll, I'll, I'll put up a Facebook live the entire time. <laughs> good, good. I'll, 
Don't you don't you dare uh, put that silver nitrate on that CPU before you just fucking ramrod that thing? <laughs> Should I be buying silver nitrate? I'll fucking do it. I'll buy ground strap. What's that? <laughs> you. I hope to God there's silver nitrate in the CPU you bought. <laughs> Can you imagine trying to find some <laughs> some thermal grease right now? <laughs> uh, oh, the, oh, thermal grease is is definitely still available. Yeah, it's just, it's, just, it's it's it usually comes most CPUs out of the box come with some inside the box. Okay, uh, well we're getting it straight from the box, so we should definitely receive it. I mean, unless Intel does me dirty. I mean, it could. It could. They could. It, it, I work for them, so I could definitely put in a memo. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so that's on our workbench. Uh, still waiting for some other stuff, but uh, really don't really want to work on any of my 40K projects right now. Um, in terms of the Adepticon preview, I am looking forward to it. I, I hopefully want to see a little bit more of maybe whatever the uh, the remainder of the Lumineth uh, is going to be, because we know that there's that like water priestess that's already been hinted at, and the artwork's already been shown for it, and it's already shown up on two separate versions of the rumor mill, so we know it's a model. We know it exists. What? I'm done with it. You're done with it. Cock teasing me for too long. I'm gone. Done with it. Oh, okay. Stop with the luminous. That faction's old. Uh, well, well, quite <laughs> frankly, to Sons of Behemoth. I, I do. I do want to see the Sons of Behemoth because I am pretty convinced that the artwork of the models is obviously going to be what the models. I mean, the artwork in that preview is just going to be what the models are going to look like. So hopefully on Saturday we get to actually see the minis. We get to see how tall they are because uh, Jeremy, you weren't here for the last episode. But we talked a little bit about Behemoth. We talked about the size of an uh, uh, Imperial Knight in 40K and the size of a Gargan or a Giant right now in, in Age of Sigmar and then compared that to the Bone Grinder, which is actually taller than an Imperial Knight yep. by like three inches. So it'll be pretty cool if they're the size, if they're the, yeah. that guy's size and on like a Knight base, whew, that that's is going to be game. awesome. That's what the Games Workshop needs is uh, nerds measuring their models taller than each other. Um, <laughs> the, so, Sons yeah. of Behemoth, the way they advertised it in this teaser, because you know I wasn't here last week, so I'll say one thing: um, is that uh, they have some hardcore anime fans in the design studio. Is all oh no? Oh, is it's, it like Attack on Titan stuff? Yeah, it was very Attack on Titan like descriptions <clears throat> of like this is the Gatebreaker, which is like literally I think a name of one of the Titans in Attack on Titan. Oh boy. Uh, so we'll see how it comes out. I think it's gonna be very uh, choose your own adventure like giants, effectively. Like you're gonna be okay. Gonna be the first, maybe like combination of war scrolls where you'll just have like instead of having like preset weapons and like one or two options, you'll probably have like multiple options in the one war scroll for. Oh, like you kind of custom build a dude, huh? like a like a Questorus uh, or like a like a Chaos Knight. Yeah, yeah, and the kit it's probably gonna be one kit the entire army whereas you can just build whatever you want out of that's smart course. that's the best way for them to sell a bunch of one product that'd be amazing yeah it'd be, be pretty exciting you have a whole lot of conversion bits at the by the end of it <laughs> i mean i mean you add three three of them you maybe have a, a named one and then you have normal gargants and then you have uh uh the bone grinder one and and that's quite a few war scrolls and that's enough war scrolls and something like that uh, so I think the Vermin Lord holds the current record on that. There's what is it? Five Vermin Lords you get out of the kit, right? No, yeah. you get yeah, you get five. You get five? Yeah, because yeah, you, you get, get the uh, Warp Seer, the um, Corruptor, 
the corruptor, the warbringer, warbringer the um, deceiver, and then the Lord Scrope, the yep. king. The oh, yes, yes, yes. I forgot about the named one. Okay. And then there's the Forge World one for six, but you know. But that's different a different kid. kid. Different yeah. kid. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah. So, you know, hopefully we get to see some stuff for, uh, for Bahamut next or this upcoming Saturday. Um, I really hope that we get. You know, in terms of the 40k stuff, because we were talking about that too. Um, uh, War of the Spire, uh, the Spider. We obviously got a preview today. I hope to see more on that as we go forward, because it's going to be rules for Death Guard, Emperor's Children, and Custodes. So seems like fun. Sounds like fun. Um, um, you know, we know that there's going to be White Dwarf rules for uh, certain things, and then there's going to be the Book Pariah, but the rules for Death Watch aren't going to be in Pariah. So we're still hoping for Necrons on my end. Um, because that's one of the few things that'll get me interested in the 40k again. Um, so they get oh. no psychic awakening, they're literally skipped out of the whole thing. <laughs> did you, did you see the thing at the end? It says, just... Too bad, so sad. Did you, see the thing, <laughs> did you see the thing I sent you or uh, sent a week ago on the on the chat? It was a uh, like last or LVO 2019 when they explained psychic awakening. They said, like, they're going to include rules for these factions, and it was every faction in the game. See, like, the Chaos Knight symbol, Imperial Knight symbol, everything, and they even say, even knights, you know, right? And, and obviously, that the, the next book is going to be knights, but um, uh, they had every single army, including like Tau and Necrons and whatever. And so, like, right now, there have been memes that have been circulating where it just has all these like red X marks over every faction, and then just like a green text underneath Necrons. It's like, not you. Uh, <laughs> and, it's, like, and, and the Necron symbol is like in the middle, too. So, I mean, it, to me, it seems obvious that they're hinting at like the start of a new edition and just like bringing them in with something then, but we'll see. We'll see. Uh, either way. You know, I don't have a dog to play in that game. So, uh, at least I, not right now. Yeah? Can I make one comment about, like, if they do release anything about Luminous on that Saturday, it better be a multi-part kit for their spearmen and horsemen. Oh, jeez. Um. <laughs> because, holy God, like, I hope they're not just sprue, uh, clip-on sprues. Cause... Hey, I want to I wanna talk to you about chain rasps. <laughs> And uh, they aren't that bad, they're clip on, they're fine, but they, yeah, I was just saying, chain rasps are push fit, and they didn't release, they released a kit, which was the push fit kit, yeah. Um, like honestly, I don't think, like, I'm pretty sure those spearmen and horses probably are just uh, always gonna be push fit. I just, I am done, I'm not a big fan of like when it comes to like a, a, an iconic faction, like high elves, basically. To just be like very monotonous pose. I mean, Island of Blood was a very big seller for them. Maybe that's why they're like, "Hey, we'll just replicate that for Illuminate." Yeah, but I was like, I no, it's you know what? I, I nah, built I'm an old school Space Marine army. I built my old school Skaven army. I, I don't. I want. I want push fit. <laughs> I don't want to put arms and legs and kneecaps and ear balls and everything else. And I just, sure. Let me. Do I want this left eye or that left eye? <laughs> It is true. No. After assembling the sisters of battle with my fat fingers and those tiny pieces, I still rather have that than push on, like uh, you know, clip on clips. Push so fit. I guess we're just push fit. Thank you. Push well, fit. now push fit. You got to clip the push fit part off. Um, hobby advice: always clip the post and glue them together. <laughs> hobby advice. Right. Yeah. Uh, outside of that, my my workbench is primarily consisting of like surviving in the quarantine. So 
you know, a lot of just trying to be active when I can and uh, helping Jamie with Wait, her. wait, wait, wait. Hold yeah? What, what else are we going to talk about? Keep tilting your head so I can appreciate all your trophies. Look, look, look at all his faction awards. When I'm allowed look to guy. play, sometimes such I do a well. big, He's such an important guy. Oh, I mean, I have more right here. <laughs> and then I have more in the other room. I mean, you know. Hey, so you're just slowly moving them to this wall so we can enjoy them? No, no, just, okay. just that wow. for now. Finished a lot Great. of house projects, helping Jamie with the gardening. Right now she's gardening a lot with the flowers, and, and we're, we're planting a lot of fruits and veggies. So I'll keep you posted on that one, John. Nice. Uh, I'm I, I'm just I just recently uh, we're going to plant uh, sweet potatoes so mm. um, you know those sweet potatoes I told you that were sprouting so you know we actually uh, have sprouting uh, like regular russet potatoes right now so that's helpful but you know all the actions underground so you really don't know until it's time to unroot um, but yeah yeah you know it's hard to stay sane you know Zoom calls Zoom calls duo calls whatever you do and lots of booze right. Yeah. yeah, I don't think I've ever spent this much in my liquor store before in my life. I don't think I've had this many margaritas, for sure. No, None tonight, none tonight, but later. <laughs> later I will be having a margarita. Who are you impressing here? Nope, <laughs> literally no one, because it's not not fancy. Audience? No, we, 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 got, Audience? we got Jeremy drinking gin, John yeah. drinking whiskey, I'm drinking cider, and you're like, Alex's like, no, 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 I'm not drinking them yet. I'm yeah, drinking Alex's- iced coffee and a white cloth. There we Alex go. Alex is, is just trying to make sure the audience knows that he's a respectful, functioning human person. <laughs> Someone has to run this show. Technically, well, you, you running have the to, show here. The rest of us just have to hang on. It's called it's called a front. It's called a front. <laughs> you're yeah, a, that that is what we you're, you're always affronted by everything I say. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! Oh boy! Oh boy! Well, you guys. Um, we, we, we do have to eventually get to our subject matter here. And uh, that's going to be, I mean, or we can't. Uh, depends. Depends on what our listeners want to hear. They would just want to hear us shoot the shit for, you know, an hour and a half. They certainly can. But what uh, what we want to do, or at least what I want to do now, is, uh, <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, see, he's got those notes already. We're going to see that on Twitter in 20 um... minutes. Uh, we, of course, are going to be looking at, the, uh, the deployments. Now, we didn't get through all the deployments last week. We went through um, places of arcane power. And, no, and, no, no. Uh, duality of death. And we went through um, Scorched Earth. And, uh, you know, we didn't actually go through those with Jeremy, of course. But, uh, Jeremy, do you want to give any uh, quick pro tips on those two before we go into the new ones, since you, were unfortunately, were not available? Timing. Timing, yes. <laughs> That's the only advice I'm going to give. Decipher the rest. You Decipher sound. The rest. Have you watched the uh, Great Brit- the Great British Baking Show? You sound like uh, yeah. Paul Hollywood. Timing. <laughs> That's the only advice I give you. <laughs> yes, I love that show. If compare, in comparing my, me to Paul Hollywood, is, I'll take that as a very good compliment. That is a lovely, handsome man. Right? That is a lovely, handsome man. Uh Oh, boy. Yeah. So, you know, we, of course, do have these deployments that we want to talk about. And today, specifically, you know, we're going to talk about the two that we didn't get to. And that's going to be Star Strike. And that's going to be Places of Arcane Power. So, you know, we're going to start here with uh, Scorched Earth. And uh, let me just pull no, that up for you guys. Not Scorched Earth. You're not Scorched stuck Earth. on it. You are so stuck I'm on it. I'm so stuck on it. We're going to start here with, um, yeah, not Scorched Earth. We're going to start here with, of course... Uh, uh, 
Star Strike? Star Strike. There you go. Maybe I have been drinking a lot of alcohol. Yeah, so, you know, we're going to be pulling that up right now. One of uh, us. One one of of us. One of us. And, uh, yeah, there's there's, uh, some fun stuff here that we can look at. Now, um, bear with me one moment. We're going to be pulling that up. We're going to be doing some uh, technical difficulties. Uh, I noticed that? under the settings, Alex, that there's a checkbox to keep the video on when sharing your screen. Of course, of course. A we do have the ability to moments do later. A few moments later. Okay. Hey, hey now. Alex has the ultimate <laughs> gallery here. It's, it's actually kind of nice. He's the one running the tech for three super techie guys. Right? <laughs> <laughs> don't you guys? Don't you guys love it? The guy it's, who doesn't even like have every a ticket, yet. I answer in IT as <laughs> IT, basically. How do I reboot my computer? I don't know. I'm in finance. The old I think my, my, my favorite ones was, uh, oh, there we go. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Okay. It's an iOS device. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, you know, this is it. This is uh, Star Strike. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, you know, with Star Strike, of course, uh, you're going to be pl- uh, showing up. 12 inches from the deployment. And uh, I think we can all put our, our sports commentator voices into good use here, like we did last time. Um, and, you know, the, the tricky thing is, of course, uh, in turn two or turn one, there's no objective. And of course, it's an objective-based game. Turn two, uh, right before we uh, you roll for priority, you, uh, you know, the star strikes in the middle of the table. And then of course, in turn three, each player's territories get a star that shows up 12 inches out and on the 2d6 roll from left to right um wherever so you know on average you're going to be seeing things a little bit more in the middle for all your objectives but you can't get fucked by that boxcar that snake uh uh the snake eyes here uh john tell me a little bit about hold up can you explain why for an audience member why a 2 and 12 is getting fucked by dice well then you got the you got the 7 10 split you know, what if you are a uh, slow army? Let's say you're an Ossiarch Bone Reaper army with no uh, redeploy mechanics, no protection in a gash anywhere or anything like that. You know, you, let's say your army is, uh, well, you know what, actually, what am I doing here? I'm supposed to be ma- doing an impression. I'm supposed to be trying to sound my best like, uh, like John Madden. Let me, let me. So, so here's a guy who doesn't know how to deploy over here. So let's say he's got his Mortec guard right here. He's got his two chunks of Mortec guard. Okay, and when it, with his Mortec guard, he's got them right there. And let's say he's got a uh, Nagash right there. Let's see how the objective pops up. Objective pops up right here. Looks real great. What are you going to do? What are you going to do here? Okay. A guy like this, he's going to want to move up the board and he's going to want to just get things going. Problem is, what if the, <laughs> what if the objective shows up elsewhere? What if the objective shows up right here? What's he going to do? I, I mean, I didn't want you to trigger you in that like weird monologue, but I wanted to explain some basic no, no, okay. odds Someone's here. never <laughs> seen a football game on TV. Got it. Or, or played a Madden game. No, no. So I, no. I think what Jeremy was hinting to is that so one of the things about this mission, uh, which is the really good improvements over the last Star Strike, is that rather than rolling a D3 and it can go either to the left, to the right, or to the center, um, yeah. you roll 2D6. And the beautiful thing about 2D6 is that uh, based off uh, discrete mathematic principles, uh, it's a higher percent chance of it landing in the 6 through 8 category. I think it's like a, a 5 through 9, I think is like a 66% chance of rolling or something. Correct. Yeah, so you have an insanely high chance of rolling a five through nine, which, if you look at the the board, is the center. 
like the five through nine would be right in the center of the board. So that's so you have a very high percent chance of being around the center. So it, you you have a more predictability about wearing it goes. The problem is, is that you could roll a twelve, and so if you play to be in the center, right here, you like go to go towards that, and you happen to roll a two, all of a sudden you are moving towards the towards the center, and it drops over here, and you're like, well, shit, and that's why Alex says that you could get fucked if you roll a two or twelve. Yeah, it's. It's a vastly improved version of the the last iteration of it. Like a two is one, a two and twelve are one in thirty six chance each of them to happen. So, which means that you have three dice. You're rolling three different occasions of that to happen. So on average, it happens one in every twelve game. It's kind of what it works on. Um, and so you should never expect two twelve to happen. Uh, you should expect probably that. Two through four or ten through twelve will happen in three dice rolls on average. It ends up because you're rolling three times per mission. Um, so the way I, there is there is a neat trick to this mission, and that's initiative on turn three. Um, so you want to be in a position where you don't need to win initiative on turn three is exactly. what ends up becoming becoming because uh, since you get to find out on turn three, where the last two uh, drop, you basically don't have to make any good, like, or I guess, decision of forcing or commitment until you've seen what happens. You don't um, want to be forced into making rash decisions and scrambling yeah. to get ahead. Yeah. And so back to, if I, may, if I may, sir, if I may draw on this map here. That of course. People you may, ahead. sir. Uh, this is... Uh, I'm I'm drawing a box of teal, but this is basically the area of the table you need to fight for, for the entirety of the game. Um, most of the time. No, it's not most of the time. Uh, if you overcommit down the center in the beginning, and you because you have a clearly advantageous like damage, like your army's just that much better at doing damage than your opponent's army, because you're playing against more KG player. That's literally the entirety of the environment you need to fight for. Well, are you, are you reason, talking about this? As, are you saying if you overcommit here, you're uh, fine? Or are you talking about the center is this 4 through 10? The center is this 4 through 10. Okay. Like, yeah. If you fight the game on the 4 through 10, you are more likely than not always in a position of winning. If you're fighting for the what I, what I think, you, you mind drawing that again? I was going to, well, if you're fighting just for the 7 through 9, or sorry, the six through nine, you're more likely going to lose the game. Uh, as, and yeah. that's just because you are giving no option. Like, you're going to have to retreat in the mid game versus in this position, uh, in this position, you're always going to be in a sco like scoring position for any kind of the objectives. And the mission also, like, this is where armies with, like, uh, What's it, bubble wrap or very big Death Star like strive strive on because they can just bully their way in this in this uh, four through ten position uh, and then still be relevant for the rest of the game and then like more KG reserve fast armies have a, a, a bigger problem unless of course the mm -hmm. dice rolls keep rolling like if you get a situation where you get um, effectively two two objectives, like, let's say, lending here and here, uh, which is, if you have, let's say, you roll two, two for the middle and two for one of the sides, 
Like a KG army is not in a position of advantage, but that's incredibly unlikely to happen. You should not play for that scenario. You should be aware of it, but you should never play for it effectively. I get that. So, like, you know, I, it's interesting that you mentioned this four through ten here. Because if I'm going to deploy an army, uh, I, depending on my type of army, I deploy two very different ways in, the, in Star Strike. So, example for Bone Reapers is I do play with the, the uh, four by ten, like you mentioned, but I do it in a very specific way. So, you know, just to give you an example, if I were to be player A, I usually deploy, uh, you know, like one big section right here and then another big section right here. And I usually have, uh, these are not comparable sizes. Uh, usually I have like leaders uh, in between, you know, like here, 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 and then like, you know, support units. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you, you have that spread, but I actually kind of generally have my weakest point of the army in the middle as I move up the board because I have at least enough wiggle room to grow. And usually I have no more than like nine inches between two segments of my army with something, uh, with something in between, you know? So it, it's, it's funny that we have that similar kind of mindset, but like I, mine is very particular on like kind of try, not trident, but like a forked kind of uh, uh, movement, at least for the bone reapers, you know, with, uh, yeah. with night hunt, for instance, I, there's a lot more wiggle room with what you can do with like waiting for w the objectives to show up. So generally I actually just kind of screw around with, my, like we talked about in our last episode, the funny thing with night hunt or, or a KG army is you can deploy in ways that make your opponent think that you're trying to gun on one side and then gun on a whole nother side. So, you know, you can put like an entire army right here and then maybe like put some back here. And then all of a sudden you're popping up all over the board later on. I just, I, I want to address a mistake. I see a lot of people play on this mission, which is uh, deploy um, like a contingent here, a contingent here. Like if you're playing, if you're, mm. sorry, if you're watching the stream, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm explaining deployment on basically uh, people who split their army in three facets where they're trying to fight kind of like the average role. Like so, or the worst, like the average role and the worst consecutive roles, where they're basically positioning themselves and splitting their army in three. Yeah. And most armies are do not function that way. Bone Reapers included. Yeah. Um, mo most armies function in more of a cohesive block, uh, which while Alex, like it works for him, I would actually advise well, against hold that on. deployment. Real quick. <laughs> the way I'm, I'm not you. Okay, so for our listeners, he's got a section like basically in each uh, a third of the table. That's never how I deploy a, a Bone Reaper army in this mission, and it's not even like those two, uh, uh, you know, in the five section in the nine section. It's usually you know a section that goes from say four to six and a half, and maybe from seven and a half down to ten. So it's not nearly, it's, it's very close to one cohesive mass, but it's usually two main forces still. Yeah, but so the reason I want to explain that, why this is a problem in a mission like this, if, uh, if somebody's really good at rules and distancing, um, they can position like, a, like have like a little vanguard unit, basically uh, keep you in combat for like in the first, on the second turn and putting you in a position where you can't charge a unit that's scoring or challenge a point that landed somewhere else. And when you play Bone Reapers, I mean, you're not that slow, but it, you're not fast either. So in situations like this, it's better to overcommit in the center 
and when I say center, I mean like the four through ten position as a central block, then uh, get like in uh, you know basically a, a combat lock opportunity is what you're giving your opponents effectively. Yeah. So what what I was drawing up here in the player a territory is i think uh like similar to what jeremy is that if you need to split your army definitely i would split it between the four and six and the eight and ten have like two splits because one thing that um i was looking uh drawn over here is that if coming in in this four through ten if you're in the center of the board it is not an actual far distance to go from the edge of the four to the two or the edge of the ten to the twelve so if you're able to be in this and this area by moving these guys up here kind of like this or even moving them into the center right here um you're not having to go that far to get to the outskirts and if you're able to take over this four through ten and actually secure the whole four through ten you don't have to travel far to the extremes and you're controlling the i mean the four through ten on 2d6 that's like 75 if not more percent chance of it of all of your objectives landing in that zone as you're able to threaten every objective at that point and worst case you got to travel like 12 to 14 inches to get where you need to go and that's a good run roll in one turn okay let me this is where like i once again disagree for like from a timing like position um mm -hmm. and i guess maybe i'm doing a really terrible job explaining my reasoning why so Let's say you're in a position where your opponent or you decide to go first or your opponent makes you go first or whatever, even if you go second on the first turn and you take these two blocks, right? You, you take your two blocks. Um, let me clear out my, my little thing here. You, take the, you, have, you have a block here and a block here, right? And you decide on the first turn, I'm going to move them uh, and I'll use a, sir, a, a diamond shape to, I'm going to move them here on the first turn. Right, so you basically decide to commit your two blocks forward because you won't be able to reach. Do uh, you want to be able to reach this objective here with this block and this objective here on this block? What I'm going to do, as your opponent, is make your life a nightmare by basically positioning a block. And I can't. Let me see if I can change color. Yes, I can. Here. So I'm in a situation now where, if your army isn't like deepkin. And you're in combat with me in the middle on turn two. You're in a position where you're depending on where the turn three objectives land, versus where I'm proposing, which is effectively you're you don't move on the first turn. Oh yeah, no, I'm with you on that. I was about to say that turn one, if you're gonna move, you move like here. Yeah. Like you don't you don't commit at all. You don't commit much. You mean yeah, you go six inches you, off your you, line. You go here, basically. Yeah. Uh, you you come you come here, and then depending on turn two where the objective lands, this is what you end up doing. And I'm going to use um, a circle for the third positioning. But basically, you move one block here, and we'll do this. Sorry, I'm not used to this draw annotate situation here. You move this block over here on turn three on your turn two. And you're you're basically saying I'm going to fight for the center of this block and keep this one in reserve for a position for a better. Ideally, what you want to do is actually move this one like in a kind of like a, a two thirds situation where it's uh, like this here, where it can support in case you get a situation where the landings are all in the middle, or 
in the later half of the game, you want this block, um, this block here to retreat to challenge this objective and this block here to keep pushing down the center. Yeah. And it, it, you're, you're, I know it's going to sound like a very, like, hey, Jeremy, that's just like some kind of like weird, like football play when I'm drawing this out. But yeah, it's, this mission is about not committing. This mission is about keeping positions and like open. And the problem I have when you do a two block scenario and moving up down the center in the first turn, you're a wise player would say, I'm going to sacrifice a unit to make you unable to really maximize your ability to get to objectives on the sides if I can maneuver my faster units on them. Yeah. Uh, and that's, and that's, that's a panel. Like I, as a fire slayer player, I know that pain very well. Like if I don't have a, the ability to uh, charge, if you rob me of my ability to charge like my two herf card blocks on turn, like basically two, two onwards, then I'm probably gonna use, lose Star Strike. Like I do not want to commit to the first half of the game uh, at all. Like I need to aggressively position, get on the midfield with one unit or one unit, and then basically wait and see. I'm sorry, John. I've been very rude and not allowing you. Uh, you haven't said a single word. I've been dominating the airways. Maybe because I'm making up surprise, for surprise. Surprise! Drive on, Jeremy. Drive on. <clears throat> I'm a. I'm a very. Uh, egotistical person like you, you I have do literally like the sound of my voice i just you like have the literally said what i was going to say and then talked through the next thing i was going to say and then i figured out the third thing i was going to say and you said that too so literally all you've just said is what i had to say anyways uh, I, I think the big thing uh, one things i would like to point out though is uh, i'm glad at the end that you guys actually started talking about how to play this mission because this is less uh, as jeremy was intimating at the end less a mission about sort of uh, that movement and placement on the field as it is one about timing as well. Because mm -hmm. you got to remember that when you start this mission off, there's no objectives on the table. So the first thing I find is I have a lot of opponents that will overcommit. You know, like you said, they're trying to position themselves to be whatever, wherever, uh, when that first turn goes in. And, uh, you know, uh, somebody else hit clear. You got to hit clear, Jeremy. Um, you know, I'm yeah. the one that tends to say, you know, when you go into that that first mission, uh, you know, I'm going to deploy much as Alex described. In fact, you know, got to remember, I tend to, at least with my Skaven, play more of a hordy type army. So my army is generally designed to be out there in two big blocks. And we'll just, you know, kind of put those blocks where we're going to, you know, kind of take up this space. And I'm not talking about one unit here. I'm talking about, you know, functional section. This is like, you know, Clan rats, monks, characters, all those things. But basically, the army is split into two functional units. And then, as Jeremy was describing, that first turn, I'm going to move up a little bit, but not really commit. You know, the one thing I'm watching out for is my opponent's army. Like, you know, am I playing against, you know, some nasty orcs with a big old maw crusher and whatever, where they want to get into my face that turn one? Well, I might need to create a bait or a bubble wrap or something out there. So, you know, you, what happens on the first turn is a lot to do with how much is your opponent actually going to get into your face in that first turn? How much can you withstand that in your face? Assuming that that doesn't happen, then, yeah, we start looking at, you know, as we move into turn two uh, or what have you. Now, it's funny. We talk about the odds about the objective landing, you know, out here. Uh, or out here, I swear to you, every time I play this <laughs> mission in a GT, my center objective is is one of these ends. Maybe it comes in 
here, but it, it seems like it's always at the ends. And then these ones tend to, you know, just bop down uh, yeah. like that. So that's kind of what I see happening more often than not as I'm going into this mission. So for me, it's, you know, just as Jeremy said, we're going to take two blocks. We're going to position them not just on center. We're going to move up. We're going to set ourselves up to be able to strike. And then for me, it's in turn two, something comes down in the middle. Now, we have to watch out. This is a mission with very high scoring. I don't think it's been mentioned, but the points you score are equal to the current battle round. So if you don't grab an objective early on, you can make up for that pretty quick. But start coming to those later battle rounds. You miss an objective, you're losing big points. And so what I like to do is set myself up to be able to take, hold, and often not overly threaten my opponent in the center, but more set myself up to barely take the objective, barely take it back, and just keep taking that center objective back. I'm going to try and use my second section to build some kind of a, a castle. You know, whenever that second objective comes in, wherever it is, I want to screen out my opponent. You know, if I'm playing against Alex, I want to make sure that he's coming, not coming in on my flanks. But I don't care if he comes and plays in the backfield over here if I don't have to protect, you know, an objective in the middle or something like that. So I'm going to build a little bit of a castle, make sure that they never touch my objective in my backfield. I'm going to set myself up to exchange the center objective. And hopefully with that exchanging in the center and some other baitiness, I can lure my opponent to where they're not strongly guarding their their own objective and what i'm looking to do is take one unit of clan rats monks or some other big unit and jump it into their backfield late game or really i might not even expect that unit when it jumps into their backfield to ever get to their objective but it puts a high threat pressure against the objective that they have wherever that happens to be in their backfield and it's going to pull pressure off the center and so now i could keep swapping for the center if they push too hard to take the center from me, they've weakened their backfield, and I jump something in and take their thing. Because that's, to me, at least every time I win this mission, that's the big win, right? You're going back and forth, and this is a high-scoring mission, but the scores are building equally. You're both holding your backfield, you're exchanging that center, and then, bam, if you can take your opponent's backfield one turn, late game, that's usually the big extra block of points that's going to win you this game. So that's that's my thought on this. And I think really that's what Jeremy was starting to talk about too, is play this game, but you have to play it across the timing of this game, you know, rather than uh, more of a static one, a static mission where all the objectives are on the table at once. I, I wanted to add in the back on like your comment about, you know, you've you played this game so many times, this mission many times where you felt like the objective was lending on like, you know, two through four or 10 through 12. Mm -hmm. That's because statistically speaking, when you're rolling three times on that mission, that's fairly likely to happen. Oh, yes. That range is incredibly actually high. And I think that's the mistake a lot of people think who, you know, even if they, let's just say they know some basic statistics, they're like, well, seven, five through nine is the most common kind of like range I'm going to roll on a single dice. When you take in the, the, the reality, it's going to be three rolls. And you ignore the order of which those rolls were going to happen. The odds are actually pretty good. You're going to roll at least one of those as either a two through five or a nine through twelve, basically. 
Oh, yeah. I, 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 I yeah also, whether it's your backfield or the center, something's going to be on the edge. I mean, I will also say don't don't fall for gambler's fallacy just because you've played this mission seven times doesn't mean it's going to land on the 12 because you've oh, never no. seen the 12 yet. Hey, I'll tell you, like, the first GT when Matthew was still around, nobody remember Matthew? All right, <laughs> press F, Matthew. Uh, he... <laughs> he <laughs> Uh, we played this one when, when this book came out and I was playing Fire Slayers and I was just, or like the old Fire Slayers, not the new Fire Slayers. And I was just like, oh my God, they made this mission so much easier for Fire Slayers. And then like literally like two of the, the, the middle objective landed on three and his home objective landing on two. And I was just like, good game, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I was just, it, it's, it, it, it's still a random, you know, it's RNG in that mission. You're, don't make the foolhardy mistake of committing down the center too much and then get punished later because you made that call too early, basically. Um, don't blow your load. <laughs> I like how your voice got all robust for us when you said that. Don't blow your load. Don't blow your load. <laughs> I, I, I will say one thing. Um, for list building on this mission, if you have mechanics that allow you to deep strike, ambush, and stuff like that, I would look at abilities that let you ambush later, like for Beast of Chaos, if you're able to get that command trait that lets you ambush uh, half your army on turn two, the more you can hold your reserves off and not have to kill them in turn one, the better. What, no. Jared? No, no, you say fully commit turn one? No, I say, so the problem of that idea is that when you, most armies now have some reserve mechanics. So on this mission, most people like are going to be positioned in a way to prevent like reserves to matter. So, like, actually, I think more you're better if you're gonna list build it for this mission specifically. You're you're better off building cheaper MSU who are at like fast. That's that's the only thing that matters. It's onboard presence. It's not it's not the reserve mechanic at all. Because as we just described for the first like thirty minutes, is like the focus is fighting down the center. Yeah, and reserve ambush mechanics especially are bad for the center. Yeah. Well, we might start seeing more of that as people are playing more leagues rather than traditional tournaments for a while. There is that opportunity to just always say list tailor for your opponent for your mission. Yeah. And like honestly, the best arm like the best armies we do well in this mission are either small MSU fast or large MSU fast. <laughs> so, so it's it's either or like it's your poison. It, it doesn't matter if you if you're killy or not. It's what matters is board presence, and yeah. in this mission above all, I guess in a, in a context. I mean, yeah. in some respects, if you are a fragile army and you go up against a super killy army, and you have no reserves, you could get tabled, and then you have no all of your fast stuff is dead, so it doesn't matter. Right, but if but you're a extent. fragile army, you should be a super killy army, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> usually, you have one or the other. Not everybody can be OBR and have both, you know. But usually, right. one or the other. Well, the nice thing about being large MSU is like if you can keep getting bodies and scoring range of the middle objective for the rest of the game, you're going to win the game, no matter how killy your opponent is. That's true. So, and it's it's just the reality of that mission. Like you don't act, like there's like literal armies who do not have to kill anything off your opponent's army and will win this mission. Oh yeah, well my Skaven will do that all day long. It's funny. It's I play in this mission. And I'm just coming in, basically, and every turn, I'm putting 
the minimum number of models, one more model than my opponent, touching the edge of the objective zone to just yeah. barely get it. He comes in and kills him off, and then I come back in and just Rinse barely and take it back. Rinse and cycle. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, you know, Alex? Yeah. Your bone daddies are the opposite of that. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I guess you're right. You're they go in and stay there. They rinse and don't cycle. Yeah. This is my lawball attempt at making Alex make an additional comment on this question. <laughs> <laughs> Not going to work. It's a okay. bait of exquisite quality, though. Okay. <laughs> so what do you think, guys? Have we, uh, have we won this mission? Are we ready to uh, take a look at the mighty places of arcane power? I know that is a personal favorite. Yeah, I mean, we, we might. Um, I think I need to double-check a few things here uh, before we do that. Uh, we are actually going to be uh, taking this here and one sec. Okay, yeah, let's move on to the next one. I think it's time that we move back. Uh, we move on to the next one. It, it's about it's about that time we move on to the next one, shall we? So, are we moving on to the next one? We are moving on to the next one, you guys. And of course, that next one is going to be our favorite, our very good um, places of arcane power. So let's get that up for you guys. So uh, all you cool cats and kittens that are uh, watching on YouTube can. Uh, can get things going here. So one moment while we get that going and we are gonna pop it up. Here we go, okay. There you go. And courtesy of John, we do have added uh, objective zones and uh, deployments already listed out. So thank you, John. You know, this one is one that we talked about, uh, you know, we talked about briefly uh, in our previous episode because like duality of death, you can't just teleport on an objective. You got to move on it. And, uh, you know, it is one of those ones that only heroes can score the objective. Previously, heroes and wizards, but this time it's just any hero, um, which makes things a lot more convenient. Or rather, it used to be heroes with an artifact or a wizard keyword. So uh, they made it a lot simpler. But this one can get pretty tricky too because this one still has a. a I believe it's a 24-inch uh, uh, distance between territories. But with the diagonal format, things can get a little interesting. Now, I will say, when I myself am deploying in this game, um, I usually, depending on what army I play, I'm usually choosing one or, or two or maybe three objectives. So, you know, with my Night Haunt, for example, since I had talked about those last, uh, I usually like to teleport up or maybe I get a fast unit um, Maybe a fast uh, blob. Ooh, that is a bad color here. So we're going to redo that. Uh, I usually take a pretty fast blob and try to make sure that I can get going on maybe, say, a corner like this, um, like that, and like that, since I know that we can reach the objective pretty quickly. And then from there, I do also try to make sure that I can have battle line maybe spread out on another one, maybe uh, like right here in order to move on to the objective, or at least uh, bubble wrap in a way, if I'm, if I'm going to uh, bring uh, faster heroes up to, say, a middle objective. And that's pretty simple. And then just try to teleport onto the near the third one and then charge into it where need be. I usually try to give my opponent an objective so that I can do some teleport shenanigans and then just charge into it, since I know I can't just move on or teleport onto it itself. But 
for my OBR, uh, it, it plays a very, very different way, of course. So I actually do specifically just to choose two deployments. You know, I'm usually finding myself, or two objectives. So I'm usually finding myself going, say, you know, out of convenience sake, or depending on how my opponent deploys, maybe choosing a chunk of, you know, basically my entire army split onto uh, two separate chunks, say, right here. Um, which is going to be, you know, say the middle objective and a corner objective for those who aren't watching on uh, uh, on YouTube. And you I watch on YouTube. Yeah, then you should probably be watching on YouTube. But if you don't, I'm giving you a visual anyways. It's all about quality assurance. So, uh, you know, where I basically choose the middle objective and one of the other ones, and then basically try to sit there and hold it as long as I can. And if my opponent gives me the opportunity to take the third objective, wonderful. If I basically just have to stand my ground. That's perfectly fine too, but we of course uh, have multitude, uh, a variety of opinions here. And uh, Garrett, when you play your armies, how are you generally deploying in this specific mission? Um, so I play a lot of ambush armies, um, and so a lot of the times, what I do, it, I, 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 this is one of those missions I definitely try to counter deploy to my opponent, especially when I have uh, very limited screens for my heroes. Because uh, if I'm going second, I need to make sure that my opponent uh, can't either jump on the objectives before me or kill my heroes before they can jump on the objectives. So I will, uh, like, maybe deploy, like, a hero here and then, like, a bulk of my force right here and then have a large uh, force hopefully being able to ambush on this corner over here and then be able to jump a hero over here and then the bulk of my force onto here, screening like this and like this screening the objectives to make sure that my heroes are able to stay in Wait, on it. Hold on, hold on. You don't have a sports caster voice. <laughs> Sorry. So uh, look at see here. <laughs> what, 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 what we say is we, we, we move a majority of our force onto the center of the objective. Oh <laughs> what have you done, Alex? What uh, we, we went back to the, uh, what is it, like the 1940s? Oh, 1930s? What are you 1920s uh, horse racing. How about them, Red Sox? <laughs> or, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, get, get, a, get a large. So, we'll, we'll take in the center of the center, put a large majority into the center objective. You move the hero onto the objective. You put the supporting uh, units, that is the large majority of my army, kind of in a horseshoe around it, hopefully defending against the dreadful enemy that would be over here and over here and possibly over here so that they'd bounce off my force right there. And same thing coming over here. So the ambushing army would come on and try to defend the hero coming on uh, from this angle over here. So down in the left, in one of the corners. So that's generally how I do with like ambushing armies. Um, and the, as Alex, it's very similar to Alex's thing where I, I usually only focus on two objectives. Uh, focusing on three usually splits my unit uh, cohesion way too much. And if you're able to hold two for a majority of the game, maybe trading off one every now and then, but being able to hold an objective longer than your opponent, you'll run away with the points and win the primary every time. So just focusing on two and maybe if, if you have a sacrifice hero that you can use to possibly start him off over here, one turn, jump him on, get that extra point, force your opponent to kill him, and then focus the rest of the battle um, over here. 
then you'll be a point ahead on your opponents. Um, terrain is a big thing on this. If, if you have pieces of terrain that restrict your movement, like right here or right here or something like that, then you're going to have to work around that. And that usually determines uh, which way I go. I generally don't split my forces among the two big objectives, the, the two outside objectives. Uh, I do try to focus on the middle and one side. Okay. So that, that's, that, that's how I do things. Yeah. How about you, Jeremy? Um, before I go into an entire rant about this mission. Um, oh, no. Oh, <laughs> no. That's, that's how I am as a person. You know, I even though I'm American, I'm also French by nature. Um, this is a mission where only heroes and uh, wizards can score, right? Only, uh, it's only, only heroes. heroes. Only heroes, period. Yeah, w wizards so, can't score anymore. I, I put up this nice background because I wanted at a point to reinforce this mission. Uh, if you can't see the audience, for the audience, it's the wrap it up box. They're, they're not uh, going to see it. Okay, well, unfortunately for you guys, is I think Alex is going to edit me out for this. Uh, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> the point of... The, the, you know when people complain about um, the initiative, random initiative order in Age of Sigmar? It's because of this mission. And the reason why is you only have to play it in a very simplistic way. You have to get two objectives, not three. Mm -hmm. And you have to make sure your opponent doesn't move any single other hero that can potentially kill one of those two heroes or units on those, on those objectives. A so units can't hold this one. They got rid of the wizard keyword. I, I know, but yeah. it's the point that like, if a unit kills it on the first turn, then it doesn't really mean the difference. It's as long as you prevent your opponent's hero from scoring and you can get on and keep winning initiative roll and keep winning initiative roll, yep. you win the game. And that's why this is one of the worst design mission for Age of Sigmar. It's because from the perspective of a lot of missions are progressive scores, and this one to an extent is, but the problem is if you just play like you're going to throw in a bunch of suicide units in your opponent's face and keep getting him locked in combat in positions where he can't move his heroes or move his units to kill your heroes, then, like, you just win the game. Like, if you start the game of going first, the odds are if you can get two objectives right out of the gate and wrap it up, as in, like, box them, box those heroes in, you're going to win. Oh, yeah. Mission on turn oh, one. Yeah. <laughs> I have a... Uh, in, in ballsier games where I haven't completely used my head. I've actually seen some success with my night hunt by just completely, like if, if someone deployed their army very, like all in one spot, just like clumped it all up. I have definitely like tri-pointed an opponent's force with like one hero and like three squads and then just like put a couple of heroes on two, two objectives and just like let him, let him kill a third of my army over the course of two turns. But then like, I was in no place to move on an objective for another turn and a half, you know? The, the, one the one counter I'd say to you, Jeremy, is as we are moving more and more into a shooting meta, I feel like yeah. your issues with this are less of an issue because, yeah, you, you, you put your hero onto the objective and you wrap it, and then that Ironclad and 20 Arcanaut Company ex yeah. obliterate him, and yeah. oh, cool, you don't have a hero on there anymore. Yeah, well, then ask the Teos to make this mission the first one, because there ain't going to be KOs who are showing up to the third round. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but it's, it's, it's the problem. Like The shooting meta will never exist, because they refuse to sh fix shooting armies and working in these kind of missions, basically. 
they'll rob you from somebody winning big, but they won't win big by themselves. Because even if the opponent, a KO army, shoots you off the objective, they aka the one model, on they're not on the objective, which means they were not be scoring any points. Uh, so it doesn't matter. Like, shooting meta doesn't fix this mission. It's just, it's, it's the idea that, like, they... I love. I like that they're trying to reward like specific army design, but this one is just terrible. Well, it I would I would say work. that th this mission is similar to all missions like this: duality of death, place of arcane power, three places of arcane power. Any of these missions where you just have to get a unit and your opponent can only score it if they're able to kill the unit on it. Yeah, they but all like fall some of them are like battle line units score. This yeah, but see, literally, like only heroes. Yeah, well, battle line units is sometimes even worse because you can get thirty um, Phoenix Guard or th twenty Hearth Guard Berserkers on there, and then you, good luck killing those guys off that, and you score it way longer. And the problems with duality of death is there's only two objectives. I mean, yeah, that, a whole nother discussion. But I would say your issues with this exist on all of these types of missions. I, I don't, I don't agree with that statement because those missions are progressive as well. So somebody, if I do this with my hearth card block for the first two turns, I scored five points. If you own that on the fifth turn, you own, you scored five points. My entire efforts were just completely washed out. No, you, you get a you get scored points by the number of turns you hold it, not the turn. Right. On turn two, I get one. On turn three, I get two, three points. Oh, I was saying if I get on turn five, I only get one point. Exactly. But I, yeah. But but it's still like. The odds of 20 Hearthguard blocks surviving the aggressiveness of an entire army for that long is, I mean, it's kind of doable, but not really anymore. Like, I think it was doable when they came out, but not right now. Um, it, it's just, I don't like hero-only missions. By design, they're not exactly well-designed. Because you'll get a, not sort of the matchup scenario, where you'll, hey, look, you're playing a vampire zombie lord of an ethereal amulet. Well, there's one objective you ain't going to take ever <laughs> the entirety of the game. Granted, that guy's not killing anything, but that's one less objective you're ever going to compete on versus like, and when you really only care about two objectives, that player really only needs to commit his next 1,560 points to the other objective for the rest of the game. And that's all that matters. Like, so for me, it's, you, Jeremy, like, well, you know, this what happens when you have low objective missions. No, it's what happens when you have low objective missions with heroes which are near unkillable in the first half of the game. Like, that mission should be a five mission, an obje a five objective mission. It should not be a three objective mission. Because, like, at least you're rewarding people who brought a lot of heroes, not necessarily good ones, but when it's three objectives, you're rewarding armies which have one really unkillable hero. Uh, so, and that's like, the God problem. forbid you play Marathi on this. Yeah, I mean, Marathi, like, or, or Nagash and a Petrifax. At, at least the one downside of Marathi is that if you take Marathi, you're probably high drop count. So you're probably going second. Right. <laughs> that's the only upside. Uh, but if you're praying, like, you know, let's say like Bone Reapers. And you, heck, like just like uh, a leech cavalos with godbone armor, yep. can basically tank an entire like army for like two turns on an objective. Yep. So it's, I don't know, it's not a good design. Like I, I just want this mission to be one, at least one more objective. Just give oh. me four objective on this mission. 
John, what would you do with your Skaven? Let's let's hear it. Oh, uh, I mean, again, what would I add to this conversation? Uh, I. <laughs> You guys have fucking said it all. Oh, Jesus. John has so much to say until he's the last one to speak. Give me my give me my unique Skaven perspective. The true army of uh, the truth is I don't play this mission any at all like you guys have described. I mostly disagree with a lot of what you've just said. Ooh, well tell us. <laughs> then you have plenty but, of saying. <laughs> so uh the the fact is, um I I recognize that this is a mission. Uh, I have no idea how I would draw something diagonal, so that doesn't work. Let me get a different pen going. Uh, so here's the deal. Um, this is a mission that you have to, if you know it's going to be in the tournament you're going to, ideally the TO has published the uh, tournament pack ahead of time, then you have to account for and you have to design for this mission. Um, early on, uh, or at least at, when I've been to tournaments where the TO didn't release that we were going to play this mission ahead of time, I've been caught out with two heroes. Um, certain factions have smaller heroes, softer heroes. Um, if I'm playing my Skaven as Scryer, I tend to have small, squishy heroes, and so this is an extremely difficult mission uh, when you're playing with all the small, squishy heroes. So there's, I think, entire armies um, and builds that generally don't do good at this mission. Now, what I've been running with my Skaven, and it, it's hard to say because I, I haven't really been playing my Skaven since December. Uh, I've been playing my Nurgles lately, but I guess in some ways they kind of behave the same. And that's, you know, I'm going to generally set up a nice, as Jeremy described it, 1,500 points of my army, a big solid block. But I'm going to want a second block, you know, of my army. So my army is always designed to go out there in two blocks. And, you know, we've been talking about holding two missions. I tend to, as Garrett was talking about, I want to react a little bit to what my opponent is. And most opponents are going to go for two of the objectives. And so I want to identify which of those two, and it's usually left two or right true, you know, sort of the, the two, uh, well, left your perspective, it doesn't matter, but it's the center and one of the other side ones they're going to go for. And so once I see where they're going, I'm going to go in like I'm going to counterpunch that. But honestly, I'm not looking to grab this center objective. I'm actually looking to get them to think that I'm going to come out here so they protect it, but I'm going to punch in hard here, and then I want some kind of a contingent force that I can send the other direction. And having gnaw holes, you know, that I can have for some repositioning mechanics are real nice. This is one of those missions where a couple strategic gnaw holes can really help you out. And what I'm looking to do is grab this objective and just keep it. Remember, he's putting all his forces here. He probably has a little counter something to try and take this. And what I'm looking for is that opportunity when I can take one of my big hard characters, specifically in my Skaven army, I want to get the Vermin Lord, Warpseer, <laughs> or I want to get the uh, Plague Furnace. One of those two, when the opportunity strikes, I want to shove it into the middle. As soon as whatever character he's holding this center with becomes sort of visible and available, I want to send in maybe some monks to try and chew it up, to take out his staff, and then I want to come here and take it. One of the things I found is that if I can get the Vermin Lord, let me just so clear, if I can get the Vermin Lord and the Furnace onto the center with any number of monks or clan rats, 
I can usually play lots of nasty little shenanigans to steal that center objective, but I'm not trying to take it from the beginning. So again, I'm going to go in. I'm going to find out where my opponent's going to try to take an objective. I'm going to punch as hard as I can against their hardest force. I'm going to come and take a smaller contingent to take the opposite objective, and then I'm going to wait for an opportunity to ambush the center from one of these other contingents and take it away from them. And I'm just trying to steal that late game. The fact that this one is you get the um, hold the uh, the number of points is based on consecutive turns that you're holding the objective also means that you have to pay attention to how many turns your opponent has held that objective. As he holds an objective turn after turn and that score starts to build, it becomes more critical for you to go steal that objective out away from them. You can steal it by putting so much pressure that they run that character away or you go in and kill the character. The problem, and this is the problem with it only being three objectives and all three objectives being on the center, as Jeremy pointed out over here, is if you're going to get up against Nagash, you're going up against the unkillable Maw Crusher, uh, any giant unkillable uh, Vermin Lord Warp Seer, right? Uh, any yeah. kind of unkillable character that grabs that objective first, if it has some bubble wrap and protection around it, you are really hard-pressed to steal that objective. The question then comes, can you ignore that super hard character and take the other two objectives from your opponent? And I find that my opponents usually are going to shove that super hard character up the middle, and so that's why I want to be set up to take both of the sides away from them. So that's my, my take and my strategy on uh, three places of arcane power, which I think is a terrible mission. Uh, you'll never see me include this in any tournament that I run, uh, much because it is only characters. It favors certain armies, and I feel that if we were going to have a character-only mission, much as Jeremy indicated, I want to see five or even eight objectives on the table so that we can reward. Because if I have lots of little soft characters, I have lots of characters. I can hold those objectives for a minute. Rarely does an army have several big hard characters and a bunch of small characters like you just usually don't have that um i guess maybe daughters of cain is the rare exception but like you said then they're msu so i think also the uh way scoring is done is really bad for this like if you had four objectives or even five but you just got one point around not this progressively increasing oh, amount for sure then it wouldn't be that bad because it's just like like if you're able to get one objective like if you had four objectives where it was similar to battle for the past or border war we had two in the middle and one in each deployment zone both players could throw an object a hero on one of each and then they go after the two middle ones and fight over those and but you're only getting one point a turn so it's not the end of the world um, I think that might be a better way to handle a hero-based only mission. Um, I don't necessarily yeah. think only heroes is scoring the problem. I think it like similar. My actual biggest problem with relocation orb is it actually is similar to this. Is that I don't mind that relocation orb is a moving objective. I actually hate that relocation orb is only one objective. That's my biggest problem with it. The less objectives you have to score, the more opportunities you have where just a single like oh i just need to just hold this and i'm done like there's no real sounds yeah. like sounds like relocation orb is going to be a good one for us to have in our next episode <laughs> i do want to also let you guys know that i have been taking a docket and uh on this recording today john has changed his background six times <laughs> um and i'm not counting no background so technically back and forth a, a few more but right now you're the record so we're gonna have to see next episode who, who holds the best well, I, 
yeah, on my docket, I have counted that you have like five awards on your on your wall. And no yes. one's that cocky in this podcast. <laughs> no one's that cocky. I'm yeah, you should have like a You admitted that you were cocky about 20 minutes ago, sir, for the record. No, see, now, if, if Alex had him arranged perfectly so that when his head was in the middle, they yeah, formed like a halo around his head, then I would talk about it being an issue. But those look like they're honestly hung on his wall back there. So we'll, we'll let this slide. We'll let this slide I mean, today. Yeah. I, well, just, I, I need him to get him a shelf. Over his computer monitors right there? Sir, I have a shelf in my living room. That's put where, it over your computer. That's where put your trophies. Is. Put your trophies on there. No, 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 no. There's not enough room in here. Come on. Come on. No. See, <laughs> see, unlike you, I'm allowed to expand outside of a small I room. can't. All my trophies are in my cubicle at work, <laughs> and I can't even get to them now. I don't know what to do. <laughs> Well, if you guys do want to show uh, Jeremy your condolences, do uh, give us a like on Facebook and on Podbean or wherever you get your podcast. Subscribe. Subscribe on YouTube as well. So uh, at Wide World Gaming. So uh, yeah, we hope to see you there. We are also going to be on Frontline Gaming's Roll every Thursday or Friday. It really depends on a few different factors. But uh, yeah, if you guys like this, let us know and in the comments below and uh, have a great week. Have a great week, everyone. We'll catch you all later.